Futures trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with Everag are their own and do not reflect the views of Everag. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by Everag. Hello and welcome to From the Furl, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Wednesday, August 9th. Today, December 23, corn is trading either side of unchanged at 4.98 and a quarter. Nov 23 soybeans are up six and a half, trading 13.14 and a half. Turning to our guests this week, it's our privilege to have Eric Anderson, a field crops extension educator with Michigan State University. Thanks for joining us today, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me. Eric, to get us started off with, can you just tell us a little bit about your work and what a day in the life of an extension educator looks like? Sure. So extension, as a lot of you are probably familiar, is part of the land-grant university system. So each state has at least one land-grant university and extension just from the name. The goal of Extension is to extend the research that the folks on campus are doing and around the country uh, out to the community. So my role with Extension is focused on field crops. And so I work with field crop growers. It would probably be somewhat similar for those Extension folks who are working with livestock, but I don't know that I have a day in the life that's uh, similar. Uh, I really have, it's more seasonality, uh, much like uh, our cropping system. So uh, during the season, you know, we've got uh, on-farm research that we do. And so we work with cooperators to put out trials. So, of course, you know, planting and, and when we're applying those treatments and harvest, those are busy times. Uh, and then uh, during the year, uh, we may have uh, field days. Uh, we'll have different programs that we For the most part, farmers are not all that interested in uh, attending meetings uh, during the growing season for obvious reasons. And so I do a weekly uh, crop update that I put out, uh, also a newsletter, an electronic newsletter. Uh, So that's some of the things that I do during the season. Uh, I may take phone calls from farmers who have questions about, you know, I'm seeing something weird. Uh, I also have a drone pilot's license, so I'll I'll go out and and fly, kind of do a little scouting for some folks. And then in the off-season, what I'll call the off-season after harvest, uh, before planting, uh, that is, I guess, our busiest season as far as meetings go. That's when farmers kind of expect to sort of get an update on what was the last year like, what were some of the uh, the key pests or diseases, uh, what, what's the current research uh, coming from, you know, the different trials that our different specialists have. Uh, so our our what I'll call our busy meeting season is during the winter. So it's not really a day in the life, but sort of seasonally, that's what an extension educator, at least in Michigan, is all about. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit more about the very thing that you spend most of your time, especially this time of year, doing, which is looking at fields and starting to assess crop conditions. What do the crops look like in Southwest Michigan, maybe Michigan in general right now? So Southwest Michigan, which is where I'm stationed, uh, we have actually the county that I'm located in is the most heavily irrigated east of the Mississippi, St. Joseph County. So we have uh, really pretty sandy soils here. A lot of the crops that we grow under irrigation are at least rotated with some sort of a a higher value crop like seed corn, maybe mix in some kind of a a potato or green bean, something like that. But a lot of irrigation. So when we have years like like this, and it's been definitely a roller coaster, we had uh, 
one of our driest springs, uh, May and June, uh, put together, at least for the weather stations in our area. We were everywhere from 50% below average to 75% below average. Uh, we did get down to a D1 drought as we were getting closer to July. So those folks who have irrigation, obviously, you know, that's that's part of the reason why you have irrigation is it's it's basically an insurance policy. So they could blow right through droughts like that. Uh, it just costs a little more to, to grow the crop. For those who are doing dry land, uh, we definitely had issues doing, you know, for example, was out doing a stand assessment for soybean for someone who was looking to just work with their, their crop insurance adjuster, trying to decide whether or not they needed to replant. Just conditions were dry. Uh, people were having a hard time getting uh, soil moisture to plant into. Those who were able to find some moisture, now we did have an unusually wet uh, early spring. So up until maybe the first week of May, we actually had way more water than we needed. So our soil profile was was saturated, uh, which was part of the problem. We needed to wait a little bit, uh, especially on the lower ground, to get planted. And then by the time uh, actually things dried out, there's a pretty narrow window between too wet and too dry. So for those who actually found moisture, the crops actually did amazingly well. They utilized the moisture that was near the surface, and then they just kept sinking their roots deeper and deeper to utilize uh, what I'll call the reserve moisture. Uh, as we got closer to, I'll say, mid-June, uh, we were definitely seeing crop stress, uh, drought stress. But then July hit, and we actually had you know, something like a, a one and a half to two times as much rain in July for our part of the state as, as we would normally have. Uh, some parts of Michigan didn't hit, get all of that, but in general, uh, when you look at the drought monitor, uh, most of the state, you know, definitely improved. Uh, not all the state is out of some level of dryness, uh, but definitely improved. So at this point, crops are looking great um, for those who, who were able to, to get some moisture early on in the season. And actually, in some respects, it's it's been really beneficial because uh, tar spots, and corn and white mold and soybean, those are a couple of diseases that a lot of farmers typically deal with in this part of the country. And that is predicated on having some relatively cool and, and high moisture environments. And because we had all the way through uh, June, we had dry conditions, tar spot, we, we haven't seen nothing close to what we did a couple of years ago. Uh, there's there's maybe just a couple counties right now that have found tar spot. Doesn't mean that it's not in the other counties, but it's definitely not as prolific as we've had before. White mold, similar. So in that respect, uh, the dry conditions, and really even throughout July, we had uh, a good amount of rain, but it came in, in large quantities and relatively short periods of time. So it was relatively dry in between the rain. So now we're starting to get into that humid part of the year, but hopefully we're going to find that uh, diseases like tar spot, they'll come on, but they'll come on too late to really cause much of an impact on yield. I want to come back and talk about diseases and insect pressure here in a minute, but I want to circle back around because the the weather that you highlighted in Michigan is really, you know, what the majority of the, the Corn Belt had this year, right? It seemed like everybody had that really, that kind of cool, wet spring and then they had a window of time, and then things got dry. So from your perspective, what do you think yields can be like? And I'm not asking for a number, 
But I think the question everybody, including the market, is asking themselves is what damage, if any, was done with this early season drought? Because it's a lot different than some of the other droughts that we've had in recent history. And we also know that there's been a lot of you know technology and uh, breeding poured into new genetics. So what, what's your take on how yields can kind of flesh out again, not looking for a specific number as much as just a general statement? So I definitely think that uh, some of the, the drought tolerance that's been bred into the corn is going to help a little bit. Soybeans is a little different animal. Soybeans, they can sit there for a long time and not grow all that much and, you know, not go dormant, but it looks like they're going dormant. They're just not growing all that much. And then once they get moisture, then they'll take right off. Corn, I would say even with the drought tolerance, I just looked at the drought monitor that came out August 1. And definitely that, that central and western part of the corn belt still suffering. Uh, they definitely haven't gotten the rainfall that we've gotten, at least in this part of the state in Michigan. So I would say I'd be surprised if uh, we hit national average for most of the Corn Belt. Obviously, we're assuming that uh, this is for, for dry land, uh, not for irrigated. So I would say it's not been a an atypical year. I mean, I think most people would say, you know, what's typical anymore? But because we had that early drought there's going to be a lot of folks who you know, maybe didn't even get planted. I'm not familiar with most of the Midwest. I took, a, I guess it was about a month ago, I took a trip out to Wisconsin and I'd say the, the north half of Illinois and the southern half of Wisconsin looked pretty similar to what we've got in Michigan. They were at about the same place as far as uh, maturity of the corn at that point. Uh, the crop looked about the same, looked pretty healthy for the most part. So I think most areas that were able to, you know, come out of the drought, similar to what we did, I think they'll they'll be pretty close to average as far as those areas that, again, they're still suffering under that those drought conditions. Obviously, th- their yields are going to get hit. So, like you said, you, you know, hard to put a number on it, but I would say, you know, if you're looking at somewhere between fifty percent and seventy five percent of average and some of those uh, worst hit areas, I think we can expect some of that. Excellent. You had mentioned some of the disease pressures that you weren't seeing. So you hadn't seen a lot of tar spot. You hadn't seen a lot of white mold in soybeans. Are there any diseases that you have started to see or things that you are concerned about or insect pressures for that matter? Really? No. So the, the one that we're, it's, I guess you're going to have it or you're not uh, sudden death syndrome in soybean Yes, that is associated with with some level of, you know, dependency on weather, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, is the inoculum already in the field? Not seeing SDS symptoms yet, but we're, I'll say we're still, you know, midway through the season. So uh, we do have some plots out in fields that we we historically had SDS. So we'll be scouting those over the next uh, two to three weeks. So I'm I'm expecting some of that. But as again, as far as white mold uh, are, are common, like a, a northern leaf blight, you know, we really just aren't seeing it at this point. With regards to insects, uh, for a while there, uh, the concern was uh, some of those uh, hot and dry weather types of pests, like a spider mite. Uh, we were, I guess, sort of waiting for uh, when those were going to start to hit the corn and soybean crops. I did not see any. I think what happened was by the time we were getting to that point where those those spider mites were populations were were starting to get high enough is when we started to get the rain and for us the good thing about spider mites is that they are actually naturally controlled by a particular species of fungus and so that natural suppression that comes along with rain events 
it usually ends up meaning that we don't need to make insecticide applications. And for the most part, spraying for spider mites is, is usually not a good strategy just because you end up taking out a lot of the beneficials as well. So we haven't really seen any major insect feeding. There's, of course, the Japanese beetle or the bean leaf beetle. Even in alfalfa, we've seen uh, some of our typical insects uh, earlier in the season. But for the most part, uh, especially after that first cutting, folks were finding that, you know, it was tending to be a little bit more of a normal season as far as uh, insects go. Awesome. No, that's that's great. Hopefully that continues and we can get through the rest of the growing season without any of these late season diseases or insect pressures. That would certainly help out uh, producers. One of the things that is starting to float around there is the idea that we could see a lot of variability, not just in yield, but potentially also in moisture as we had this crop pollinating at different times. Is that something that you're concerned with? And if it is, is there any advice you've got for producers as they begin harvest here in a couple of weeks? So harvest up here is, is a little bit longer than a couple of weeks away, uh, maybe for uh, folks down south. So for us, yeah, we definitely had, you know, variability. I'm talking variability across the state uh, as far as rainfall and heat. You know, our wheat crop came off pretty well for the most part. We had uh, timely rains, uh, took advantage of all that early season moisture. And again, if anything, the drought in May and June just helped to keep uh, a lot of those diseases that we would typically see with wheat. I don't have averages at this point, but the numbers that I was getting from farmers around around me anyway uh, was they were seeing good yields, but but to be honest, those most of those folks were were irrigated. So for corn and soybean, I would say the variability, especially you mentioned uh, pollination. For us, uh, when we had pollination, and that was probably you know we've got some fields that actually uh, are are not quite even tasseled yet, and other fields uh, we're we're well into the blister stage, uh, maybe even the early dough stage. So from that perspective, we are all over the map just because of the spring that we had and how variable uh, the planting date was. But as far as heat, right around the time of most of our pollination here, we didn't see those high spikes in temperature that, that typically tend to hurt pollination. So for the most part, I'm expecting pollination to be good. As far as, you know, within field, I think you're going to have that in any given season. You're going to have low areas where maybe you had, uh, for us anyway, uh, when we had a lot of rain, you're going to have areas that, that are just maybe a little bit stunted. They're a little behind the rest of the crop. I don't know if there's really anything you can do as far as a, a farmer's perspective to deal with that variability. You're going to have areas that, and really this is true of any field, you're going to have areas of the field that are going to be higher yielding than others. Uh, you may even have some where you know you just don't see much much grain accumulation at all. So I don't know there's really anything you can do about that as a farmer. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today with us, Eric. It's been a real pleasure for you to share some of your insights with us. Uh, before we leave, I, I, I am going to ask for one bold prediction. Michigan yields, where are they going to fall this year? So honestly, I, I don't see the yields uh, being impacted nearly as much as uh, our earlier season drought would indicate. Again, that is assuming that those farmers who, who got planted uh, sometime probably in May uh, were able to, to plant into moisture and those crops were, were able to find that deeper moisture. 
I do know that there were some parts of Michigan up closer to the central part of the state, at least early on, uh, they missed almost all the rains that came through, at least in, in that earlier part of the season. They, they picked up a lot uh, later on. So across the states, and again, I haven't done a lot of travel extensively throughout the state, but across the state, I would see, I mean, it'll be a range, but I think we're going to be pretty close to normal, maybe just a touch below average for this year. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Eric. It's been a real pleasure, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy listening to some of the insights that you brought forward to us. Eric, if listeners would like to learn more about the work that you and your team at Extension are doing, how can they do so? So if you just do a quick Google search for MSU or Michigan, throw the word Michigan in there because there's other M states out there, uh, but MSU Extension, and then that'll take you to a main landing page. If you're specifically looking for field crop type information, uh, we've got our own field crops page. It's got all kinds of different articles. We've got a weekly meeting that we do. It's actually on Thursday mornings. It's called Virtual Breakfast. That's become, I guess, one of our flagship programs that we do throughout the growing season. Now, we've got recordings of that, including uh, a weekly weather forecast uh, from our state climatologist. So all kinds of different information on our field crop webpage. But if you just do a quick Google search for MSU Extension field crops, it'll take you right there. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us today, Eric. Yeah, thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, feel free to subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a thumbs up. Thanks to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's production. At EverAg, we partner with every corner of the agriculture industry, from dairy to livestock, crops, and agribusiness, to deliver intelligent supply chain and risk management solutions. We are EverAg, everything agriculture. Learn more at www.ever.ag/everything.